Ready as I'll ever be. All right. And so here's episode two of the experimental cold acid Abel Kirby podcast of name to be determined. How are you doing, Cold? Oh, not too bad today. Yeah. Well, it's it's been rainy here. I hate rain. Oh, yeah. We had a severe thunderstorm warning earlier today. Uh, actually, I just saw uh, the flash flood watch was just canceled. So it was, uh, I was kind of worried it was going to be thunder and lightning while we were recording. And there's a lot of thunder rolling through about an hour ago, but then about 40 minutes ago, they canceled the flash flood watch. And it looks like the, uh, you can see clearly now the rain has gone, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's still a bit overcast here, but the worst of it's, uh, like it stopped raining around six o'clock my time. Yeah. So over an hour ago. Here it's kind of, so right now I'm living about the furthest south I've ever lived. Uh, I'm living like at the 39th, 39 degrees north, which isn't, you know, terribly far south, but it's still the most south I've ever lived in my life. I grew up, uh, I think around 40, it was like 42 and a half or something like that degrees north. And then for the last couple of years, I was living at 40 degrees north, which is a little bit further south. And now I'm at 39, so it's kind of. You're just slowly rolling closer and closer to the equator. Yeah, and then I'm going to, so I can retire in Key West, you know. And by the time I get there, it'll be 102 <laughs> at this rate, yeah. I think. I'm moving like uh, a degree or two every decade, so it's going to take a while. Well, I guess we should start with, that's kind of the bad news, the sad news. Uh, I don't know if you saw, but... I saw right before we came on that uh, it looked like Raid or Rite Aid had passed away on uh, Twitter. What? He was, yeah. Um, I just saw this right before the right before we started because I was picking through Twitter before before we started, and it looks like he posted or someone posted on his account that said he passed away unexpectedly uh, earlier today, and it's all you know, love and light, R.I.P. So that oh, was man. shocking. That was yeah. Uh, and and so I don't know if our our audience or what I imagine our audience is if they even know who Rite Aid was or any, but it it was uh, so we should we should explain that um, a long time ago we were chatting on IRC together. I, when do you think that was like two thousand eight or something like that? I think, I, think was, I got in there around two thousand nine, right after yeah. the uh, yeah, right I, after the demo release, right. Mm. Act one of chaos. <clears throat> yeah. So there is this. Uh, we might want to explain for people who don't know about that. Yeah. On uh, well, there was a game Katawa Shoujo, which came out. It, it actually came out what in twenty twelve. Twenty twelve for the final version. Yeah. And uh, it had a really long development history. Well, it, well, it was being developed. It sure felt like it was a very long. Uh, history and i think we may even be at the point where it's been it's not only been out but it's been out longer than it was ever in development um but it was a visual novel um uh, and it was really seminal in the individual novel field because it was really one of the first and it gets cited the most often when people want to make a visual novel they want to write a visual novel um, it's the number, especially, I, mean, I even talked to some developers who are successful, and they make commercial English language visual novels, and they cite, you know, Katawa Shoujo as the first time they saw, 
and they saw something and said, oh, I could make an English language visual novel. They did it. I can do it, too. And <laughs> pri- prior to Katawa Shoujo, I mean, visual novels were around and, you know, been reading some. They've been the around for, know, since the 80s. Were around. But, yeah, the Japanese, uh, Japanese language ones that were translated were around. Uh, and there wasn't there wasn't even a market for visual novels for English language visual novels at the time. Um, there was nobody making any money on them. I think there was like one group winter wolves was doing something that was an Italian guy. And I can't remember his name now. Um, but the, uh, and, and this was at a time of steam was out, but steam really didn't have any VNs on it. Now, if you go look, if you search, you can put it, put that in as a tag and there's hundreds and, Hundreds of visual novels in English, you know, written for an English audience. And they even have adult content and things inside them, too. And, and that was unthink- yeah, like the that was unthinkable. Games. The idea that you could have a, a, a visual novel that wasn't completely neutered on Steam was, was wild. In, in fact, I remember at an anime con a very long time ago um, talking to, I think it was the J-List, one of the J-List marketing guys... And I asked him, they just put out some game, and it it was like a minor title. I can't even remember what it was, but it had an ESRB M rating on it. And it was a visual novel they were publishing, and I started talking to him about it. I said, wow, so why'd you pay to get ESRB ratings? I mean, they're not free, right? And he goes, yeah, well, we're we're angling to see if there's anything we can do to, uh, to get a game on Steam. And... It was kind of a long shot, and I was asking him, do you think it'll really happen? And he was kind of giving me this, well, you know, we'll see how it goes. There's some companies are objecting. The parent companies who, you know, who we license from are uh, questioning uh, if it's a really good idea or not. And so at the time, it was even when you were talking to, you know, the most commercial visual novel groups out there, which was like J-List and Manga Gamer, the, the idea that you could get a game on Steam that was a visual novel was just... It, it, it was wild. It was out there. No one had ever done it before. Um, the, uh, I think the breakthrough, just to bring this all back around, do you remember the first VNs that started showing up on Steam? I remember the first one that I played, and it was, uh, uh, it was a Christine Love game. It was Analog, a hate story. Do you remember that one at all? Yeah, I, re- <clears throat> I bought it, but... I never actually got around to playing it because mm. I've got like more Steam games than I'll ever live long enough to play. Um, I can give you the brief summary. Uh, it was Christine Love, uh, who I'm sure we can talk about somewhat later, uh, but I've always liked her, um, and I always liked her games, and so I, I was following her at the time. Put out a game, and the artist for it was actually Raid. Or once upon a time, someone told me to pronounce his name Raide, and I was never sure if they were pulling my leg or if that's really what he wanted. So I, I, I think everyone calls him Raid anyway. Um, yeah, I always just called him Raid. Yeah, um, but he was uh, an artist on on Analog, and that was I think the first thing he did after KS. And it was so he went from KS, which was the seminal English language visual novel, to I think it was the first commercial success, and it, and it may, as far as I know, it was the first visual novel that actually showed up on Steam, and it was an indie development. It wasn't, you know, a JRPG. It was an original English language, uh, so it was written by a Canadian, uh, and, uh, and I think Raid was from Indonesia. 
Um, yeah. And he was doing art for it. And, and the game was uh, almost like a text adventure. So it was a visual novel. There's a lot of reading involved and it, it mostly reading logs from a computer and it had a terminal simulator. So you were uh, on a mission to go find out what happened on this derelict spacecraft. And so you log in uh, through this sort of simulated terminal. And that was Christine Love's gig back then. That was her her thing she always liked to do was there was... Her first game was Digital, a love story, where you had the simulated uh, bulletin board systems where you'd find a phone number you could dial in and, and, and... can I do these simulated yeah, I conversations? That that, I enjoyed that a lot, it, both uh, <laughs> both just because of the style of it and because I'm uh, I'm like really crazy about Amiga stuff, and it has uh, oh, yeah, that it was sort of Amiga. feel to it—the old like <laughs> Amigo OS one feel. Yeah, yeah. And, and that that was a famous. That one was had some accolades too. Um, I know after that she did. She was on the. Uh, she did uh, something that we... You'll know what I mean when I say a NaNoReno. Uh, but it was a Game Jam game that was called Don't Take It Personally, Babe. It's just not your story anymore. And I think that got an award by some newspaper in Toronto or something. It was, like, nominated. I think I, think I remember playing that one, too. That one was eerily uh, prophetic because... So the the that game, I played it when it came out, too, was... You were a school teacher who you go to a a school in the semi near future, um, and it's a school where everyone has a phone. So this is and everyone has a social media account, and they have you know a, a fake Facebook kind of thing. And and you know Christine Love always has the the uh, the interface to computers is always you know, a direct part of the story. And so you go to class and you talk to your students and, and deal with that. And then you go on your phone and you you had a, uh, it was like a master key to see what all, all the students in your school, you could like read their private chats, which was creepy to start with. But that was the plot. And so you'd talk to the students and they say, hey, I have a problem with this and that. And then you go and, and read what they're saying to each other at home or uh, on a, you know, different bulletin board kind of systems and thing, Facebook. Uh, and that was another... It was kind of eerie because it, it basically was about spying on all your students and get being tracked everywhere you go. And then uh, I don't want to spoil it, but at the end of it, you know, you find out that they've kind of been... They all know this was going on and, and they were sort of putting you on for the whole time. So some of the more extreme stuff they were just sort of saying to get you uh, to get you going... But it was a it was a kind of eerie, creepy story. Um, but it was interesting, and it's still interesting in the fact that I think it came out still in about 2012. I think is about when it showed up, and a lot of the topics that they brought up as oh, here's the the dystopian future where everyone has social media and uh you know you're just being tracked and spied on all day by every app and everything on your phone uh, you know here's what it here's what it's like isn't it scary and then you kind of take a step back and say, oh wow that's sort of what's going on right now isn't it i suppose it was going going on back then too it just weren't wasn't we're so as apparent you know in the days back then yeah, visual. Yeah, just thinking about that still creeps me out. The uh, the spying stuff or the visual novel specifically. 
the spying stuff and even more so that it's like just accepted and even played with these days that people don't care anymore that they have no privacy yeah but we keep going like that we're going to turn into no agenda <laughs> well i don't care i'm not here to i'm not going to shut down uh I, I i don't care if we retrace topics other shows do it doesn't bother me at all Especially because oh, no. I have stuff to say about that, too, so I don't, you know, this, this is our show. We're going to do what we want. Damn right. Yeah, Raid, man. It was just about an hour ago I saw that. It looks like it was posted. I should look up the tweet. I didn't even see it. Uh. Oh, I can't find it because I'm not logged in on uh, Twitter. On this uh, computer. I saw it. Yeah. Oh, well. Rest I did see it, though. It was, uh, at this point, uh, like five hours ago. Five and a half. Yeah. Rest rest in peace, man. I miss... I didn't see him much after when he when he hung out on the uh, IRC, on IRC Highway. So you didn't talk all that much. But I remember being there and... and uh, talking to him a handful of times so it was still sad to see him pass away i commissioned some art from him actually years and years ago when i was trying uh, to do my own vn oh geez oh god i remember that that was uh was that painter's story yeah ah yeah. <laughs> i forgot about that no you uh yeah, you commissioned him to uh, to do the nowhere. sprites or something or concept art? Yeah, I, yeah, concept art. Yeah. Well, that was the that was kind of the Karawa Shoujo bug. Uh, everyone saw, I think, when Act 1 came out, and then also even more so when the final game came out. There's a lot of people, people like you and me, who, who saw that and said, Hey, I could do that. I should be, why aren't I making a visual novel right now? And it's there were so many spin-off projects, uh, people who wanted to make something that was the next KS, or they wanted to do, you know, their own version of it. Or I think that one project uh, that was supposed to be like the mental equivalent instead of ah. physical disability <laughs> still going on. Yeah, missing stars. Missing type? stars. Yeah, they had a uh, they had a demo of that. I think earlier this. I, I talked about that with um, a friend of mine, Viendev. Uh, I had dinner with him, and uh, before I left Colorado, he just moved to Colorado, and I was moving out. So we we stopped, and we were talking. We were having dinner, and we were talking about VN's. It's a uh, saloon, and literally a saloon in Golden, Colorado, uh, and uh, drinking beers, talking about VN's. You know, good times, and. That, yeah. that came up. We were talking about it, and I, I'll say to you what I said to him. I was just, yeah, I downloaded the demo, and I held control, and there were no sex scenes, so I just kind of ignored it. And that, <laughs> <laughs> just, just about as dismissive as you can get, but I, was, I thought it was hokey when they first announced it in, what, 2013? So it's been going for seven years or something like that. So. Oh, well. There's a lot of these are still in development hell, you know, just because people wanted to make a VN doesn't mean they actually did make a VN. But some of them, some of them closed the gaps and sealed the deal. Yeah. 
Sadly, I wasn't one of them. No. Some of the projects I was on kind of fell through, and it was difficult, you know, and, well, I don't want to. There were, there were a couple that I, that I, ooh, that was loud. What was that, Skype? Yeah, that was, I'm going to turn the volume for the, the Skype. Uh, well, I don't know, the that's probably bad. Yeah, yeah I, want, I wish I could separate the notifications from your, uh, from your microphone. Uh, My lovely I, dulcet tones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if there's a way, I'll, I'll figure that out uh, this weekend. When we do our, we're going to revamp all our audio. At least I'm going to revamp my yeah. end, and and we'll we'll get something set up where we can have a better sound. Maybe even have some clips or some intro music or something like that. But for now, this podcast is a Skype call, so which isn't bad. It's just going to be us talking. Yep. The uh, yeah, that was it. Painter story, huh? Yeah. Introducing the cast. Wow. You know, I got to finish some uh, Game Jam VNs where I actually got to work on the script a little bit, and that was fun. Done a couple Nano Renos. That That's the, the traditional English visual novel Game Jam is the one month and you make a visual novel start to finish in March, March of every year. And it's based off from NaNoWriMo, which is the, the write a novel in November, well, you can make a VN Which is in something March. something I've been trying to do even before I knew about <laughs> KS. Yeah. Well, I've never got too far in that. I got to 30,000 words once, and that was... none. Of, most of them weren't good, uh, but that's the furthest I, I ever went. I think my record is just short of 9,000. Like, I'm really bad. Wow. Not even 10K? No, not even 10K. <sighs> well... I know. I'm hanging my head in shame right now. I well, I think it'd be fun to try again this uh, November. There's, I have the same tendencies I think you do, where I end up starting a project and you get down and you work on it, and some of them you carry with you for years. You know, there's unfinished stuff where I wrote half a short story or a script for something, or I wrote a couple scenes for a script, and I said, "Wow, I should really flesh that out." I still think it's a good idea, and you just never get around to it, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, I got loads of stuff like that where I keep going back to it and like, I should continue this. And then never do. Well, I got, in the past couple of years, I got a couple Game Jam games done. But most of the work that I've gotten was all for soundtracks. Uh, I didn't really do any commercial writing, but I, I've done some commercial soundtracks for games. Just fun. And also non-commercial stuff. So that that turns out that's the the way I contribute most often. If there's a if there's a game out there, I end up just doing music for it or sound effects. Actually, I did some sound direction. That was it's a different beast. But as you go through it and you learn it, uh, and you keep doing A/B tests where you say, ah, here's all the sound effects, and then you play the game and you you're tweaking the default volume settings and. Trying to oh that sound effect was too loud I've got to go go back and remaster because I was an idiot when I put it together and I had the the loudness wrong or something. But that whole discipline's been an interesting thing to learn too. Like to uh, 
think in the coming years I'm going to keep doing that. That's the main thing I, I get enjoyment out for, for visual novels now. Especially because it's something you can finish. So I can, when I do uh, sound effects for projects, it seems like I always finish them. But when I do a script for projects, I always... I always abandon ship or I have to pass it off to someone else to finish up because I just can't can't seal the deal myself. Uh. Well, in anime news... Yeah? I, uh... Continued... I've been... I've been grilling something. I've been grilling, oh. grilling some Peter... Ah, I actually gotten watched. I haven't seen the next episode yet. Episode two. Don't spoil. Ah, uh, no, I haven't. Yet. You said you already read the thing. Yeah, but I'm I'm rewatching it, right? Well, oh, I'm watching it. It's. Got, I'll so tell you the it's title. Been a while since the original. I'll tell you the title, and and from the title, uh, I'm sure you can imagine everything that happens in the episode. The title is Peter Grill and the Future Father-in-Law, and. Oh yeah, that, that's the summary, and also you know that that could be the uh, sort of the starting the pitch of the whole episode. That's everything that happens in it right there in the title. So he meets his future father-in-law, yeah, suffering for Peter. <laughs> you know, it's because the old guy hates him. The old guy absolutely hates him. Oh yeah, in the manga, like you can see, like all these things where he's trying to screw Peter over. Mm. No, it's it's kind of funny. To, he's relentless too. It's uh, it. I almost had a. Do you ever watch Golden Boy? No, I never saw it. Oh, that was a classic I, one. Well, I mean, if we end up doing uh, clips for uh, for you know a soundboard or something like that, you know, the kind of the way Hog Story does stuff, you know, where they have the I like fresh air, motherfucker, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. The uh, the clips I'm going to draw from there's some of them are going to be Golden Boy English dub clips because they have some of the best lines in it, and the other one is uh, Ghost Stories, which is my other favorite English language dub. Uh, Do you ever hear about that one? As the ADV no. comedy dub of Ghost Stories. ADV, holy crap! Yeah. That's a name I haven't heard in a long what time. What was it? ADV shit. I think it was ADV. AD Vision. Yeah, I'm. I'm feel like I'm making a mistake now. Was it really ADV, or is it like the Funimation dub and I'm misremembering it? That's right. ADV you know, is. I thought ADV disappeared like in the early 2000s. Yeah. No. Ghost stories. I'm on Wikipedia. Japanese TV series. Um, the original run was 2000, but when was it dubbed? It was later. Yeah, it was ADV. 2005. <laughs> <laughs> it is the most inappropriate English language. Du so, Ghost Stories was a media franchise. It started with a novel, and it had, I think it had a manga, and it had a million other things. It was a powerhouse franchise. And the the story is there's two kind of middle school students, and they have the new school. They go to this school that their mother, I guess, used to work at or go to. It's hard to tell it through the lens of the ADV dub, exactly what was supposed to be happening. But they have uh, the, the new schoolhouse where they go to school, and the old school, the spooky old schoolhouse is up on the hill, and, and one of the girls, uh, the main main character, she has a book of ghosts, and it's a Monster of the Week show where she, they find out, oh, there's a ghost haunting the uh, the sports festival, 
And so they have to find out what the ghost is and what the ghost wants, and they, they basically use this book to identify the ghost, and then they solve the problem, and they're back to normal, and there's the next episode. So it's a, a pretty lackluster um, in terms of the original presentation of it. I mean, the anime kind of flopped. Despite it being an extremely popular franchise, nothing really clicked, I guess. And allegedly, they had a lot of top-tier voice talent in, in the Japanese dub. Like, they had... Uh, you know, A-list anime actors, like the the voice of Frieza from Dragon Ball was in there somewhere, is the one that stands out in my mind. But anyway, it was a commercial failure. And ADV somehow got the rights to it in through some some way I don't fully understand. And they they rewrote that's the just, script. That's just Japanese business. Yeah. They wrote a <laughs> Yeah, you just don't understand how it works. They translated the script, and then they had basically a comedian rewrite everything. And so they took the raw translation. So the story is mostly intact, but all of the lines are replaced by one-liners. And uh, stupid, like when there's characters are just kind of talking to themselves and before they'd be talking about, you know, the plot or something like that. He's talking about Lost and how much he, you know, show me the damn monster. God, yeah, it's this really <laughs> ridiculous, it, it can, really contemporary too. And he's, you know, he's walking around saying he's, oh, God, I can't believe all these papers are in Japanese, you know, as he's, you know, trying to try to read it. It was hilarious, and uh, I'm going to bring in some clips for that. There's some good compilations on YouTube, too, that, that have some of the best one-liners in there. But It's completely nice. inappropriate. You couldn't even do this today, because uh, especially with woke culture, there's so much stuff in there. They're, they're dropping, you know, it's racial humor and in a, just inappropriate uh, misogynistic humor and all sorts of things you just can't say anymore. But it was there, and even in the dub, like you were watching this, I'm sure in 2005 people were watching this, like, oh, God, this is so bad. This is like... But today it's like unfathomable that anyone could think this was funny. But... So there's clips in there that I think I'm going to bring in. Uh... Like they had one one girl was a Shinto uh, shrine maiden was her character, and they turned her into Born Again Betty was the... Uh... The way they're talking, Kat referred to her as she's a super evangelical Christian who's trying to convert all of her friends, including one guy who they made Jewish. And so she's always trying to convert him to be a Christian. And so that's kind of the banter they always have. But, I mean, I'm going to have to find this, aren't I? Yeah, it's called Ghost Stories, and you want the ADV dub. It's famous and it's phenomenal. Yeah, put that on your watch list. <laughs> <laughs> Hillary Hag uh, was the main lead, and it ruined Hillary Hag for me because she's actually a good voice actress. She so she was in she's in Ghost Story saying things like "God, why did you go bomb an abortion clinic or something?" Oh, you know she's doing these, these stupid lines, and then you go watch her. They cast her in a Makoto Shikai uh, movie um, as the the lead character too. And I, I had it on DVD. It was uh, The Children Who Chase Lost Voices from Deep Beneath the Ground or whatever it was called. I saw the premiere in New York, and it was in Japanese, but I got the DVD sometime later, and I put on the I put on the English track about a uh, earlier, yeah, late last year, actually. 
it was still in Colorado. It was kind of late last year, early this year. And I listened, I, I was watching it, and I realized, oh my god, it's Hillary Hag playing a sympathetic character. It's like hearing, uh, you know, Sarah Silverman, you know, playing a, uh, you know, someone you've you've heard just say, you know, these these stupid lines. They always have sort of an archetype they're in, and then you cast them in a sympathetic role. It's like, wow, this is jarring, and I can't unhear her voice. She's always so going like, to be this potty potty mouth middle schooler to me. So. So it'd be like taking Sarah Silverman and then casting her in like a dramatic Holocaust movie. Yeah, it would be like if you cast, um, I don't know, if you cast uh, the pianist with the with Trey Parker and Matt Stone, and they played it straight, but it was their voices. Yeah, that would. That's be... what it was like because it was so weird because she's a good actress, but I can't. It'd be like you're watching this and you see, all I can hear is Cartman talking about it, and it, it's just kind of, it's jarring, you know. I, it's terrible because I, she's a good actress. She was cast correctly, but I can never unhear that uh, that show when I hear a show she's cast in. That that's all I can get. Yeah. Hmm. What else do we have? I kept watching those animes we were talking about last week. Suzaki-chan. Did you catch any uh, any new episodes this week? Yeah, I caught that. Yeah. I like the boss. I, I agree with the boss. Watching those two is amazing. Yeah. That was the... Uh, so the title, I wrote the title in my show notes. is The Cafe Owner Wants a Glimpse is the name of the, the English language. Name of the episode. That's basically what it was. That was fun. I mean, it's, uh, I was getting Toradora vibes, especially from the, the opening, and there were certain things inside, like different shots, and I couldn't tell if they were referencing Toradora, or it just happened to, like, similar cinematography, but it's, thematically, there's something similar going on, and then, uh, I think it was the umbrellas. Yeah. I think there's a shot where, with overhead umbrellas. That might have been in the first episode I was watching. So, oh, that reminds me of Tor. That's like the Toradora thing. Because they always had repeated shots of overhead umbrellas. I think it was in the opening or something. But yeah, Uzaki-chan. She's got a sink full of dishes. To coin a phrase. It's kind of... Uh. Uh, that's the... Uh, when the when the cafe owner is uh, kind of watching her and she thinks he's he's looking over the counter and he and he sees her and she's so short and she goes, oh, she must be in middle school and, and she's he's talking to her like a kid and then he stands up and he sees her, and she, oh, she and she goes, no, I'm in college. Yeah, this, uh, this yeah I know. Gag. She's an adult. I'm. <laughs> the. Uh, the way they draw the characters on there, we were talking about the flood filling. Uh, I think they just flood fill. Basically, they flood fill her teeth, and so her tooth is the same color as her face. I think that's the only character they do that to. Because I was pay after you said it, I was paying attention to it, and they don't f do that for any other character. Not even the cat. Like the cat has snaggly teeth, and they don't flood fill that. Yeah, I yeah. saw. It's just a stylistic choice for her. 
magazine cover with her that was colored, right? Like, so, uh, like, you know, the manga magazines, right? In Japan, those phone books of uh, comics. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it it's, the, it's the same in that. So it's, I guess it is an actual, like, uh, design decision for her. Not one that I care for, though. I much prefer the little snaggle tooth to actually be tooth colored. <laughs> well, I think if you go, I was thinking about this too. I was looking at some old, old anime cells and uh, you know, kind of stepping through some older stuff too. I was picking through an old hard drive and uh, kind of bringing up things and scrubbing through them and trying to, you know, remember what they were like. You know, old fan subs from a long time ago. Some of them are in high quality DivX. I still have stuff that uh, probably from 2005 or six seasons. Um, they uh, they did that on some other cells, and I can't remember what the the show was where they would do flood fills on uh, like a snaggle tooth. And I can't. I've seen it before because now I'm hyper focused on it because we brought it up last time. I've seen it before, and I can't. I was trying to find out which show it was from, and I still can't remember. I haven't found it yet. But. Now, oh, well. Do you keep any old fan sub files lying around? Yes. What do you think the oldest set of fan subs you have? Or what's the oldest fan subs you've watched? Actually, I, I have one in my head I can think of. This probably goes pretty far back. But what do you think is the oldest uh, fan sub? In, maybe you don't even have it now. It's, you know, the oldest fan sub uh, that you actually watched. Uh, probably Love Hina. And no, I don't have that anymore. Yeah. I caught a... I got a DVD copy, I think, of the first two episodes of Love Hina. Uh, used somewhere. I just picked it up. It was like a dollar. But... That was, yeah, uh, that was a big one back then. That was real media format. Oh, yeah, that you was... remember real... I do. That was my. Uh, that was what I was going to bring up as my oldest fan sub that I can remember. It was Battle Athletes Victory, and it was an RMV file. And so you used Real Media Player to uh, to download this. Just like three hundred twenty by you know some really low resolution uh, video, and you know every, so everything's choppy and blurry, and it's Real Media anyway. So the file's on your computer and it's buffering anyway. It seems like. Jeez, yeah. things change. I remember the first time a fan sub came out within a couple hours of the show airing. Because um, before fan subs used to be, the show would air and then the subs would be out later that week. You know, four or five days later, yeah. even. Speed subs might be yeah, two then, or three days. And then speed subs were a thing. If you, wanted, ah. if you wanted a translation that was actually like watchable you'd be waiting a week yeah so i was watching like bullet speed subs was was wild because they were like within a day or something but i remember gurren lagan uh i think it was the the final episode or two uh and i, I think it was bullet speed subs was was doing the the translations and the the subtitling and everything they were doing the release and this is i don't know autumn 2007 Usually the episode would come out, and it was a big deal too because it was a Gynic show, and it was like the first. This is a big Gynic show after Evangelion, you know. Uh, 
even though they had done other things since, you know, it was like, here's the high budget, you know. The, the, the show to watch this season is this, this uh, you know, giant yeah. blockbuster Gynex thing, and they're the Evangelion guys, so, you know, you got to watch it. And so the show episodes would come out, and then you'd, you'd get the uh, translations a couple days later. And then on the final couple episodes, they had the translation, the episodes translated and uploaded, I think, within six or seven hours. And so there was a torrent file. You, you knew what time it aired. Um, you know, you could see the TV schedule for Japan, but you couldn't watch it. You just knew what time it aired. And s- within seven hours, they had it completely translated, encoded, and packaged, and up. And you could watch it later that day. And I remember downloading this. And, Holy shit, this is the, f- the fastest fan sub operation I've ever seen. This is the most exciting thing. Especially because the norm was you things would come out, and then a couple days later, they, they get released. And here's just, it's just hours. And they didn't have the benefit of, like, uh, I think it's Crunchyroll, and they, they they get access to the scripts and stuff before it actually airs. So they might they have a chance when they do the simulcast, they can translate it before it actually comes out. So when it comes up, it's yeah. it's actually ready to go. As soon as they they want to release it, they just release it on schedule, and they already have it translated. It's good to go. Back then, it was literally someone had to record it off their TV onto a DVR. They had to upload the file uh, to someone else. You had a team of people had to go through and translate all the text or translate all the uh, the dialogue, create the script, check the script, and then someone had to go through and, what was it, a VOB sub? Yeah, and had to time it yeah. and everything. And so some of the most advanced ones you had, you could see the audio waveform. And so you could kind of, I think the, the way you do is you tap spacebar to like bring up the, the next subtitle and then uh, you tap it again to make it disappear. And so you could kind of do the rough cut and then you go through and align all the, the, uh, the text ins and outs to the waveform. And even that was crazy because I remember hearing about how they would do it for like VHS dubs, you know, before, you know, just with analog dubbing of anime. So if you if you wanted to get an anime uh, episode translated, there were places where you could uh, basically you mailed a VH. So you had to get a copy of the thing in the first place. Then you could mail the cassette, you know, the VHS cassette to someone, and they would go and they translate it. They make the script, and then they had a machine that would dub the uh, the text on the bottom of the screen, but it was analog and there was no backseas. So if you wanted to, you know time the subtitles you basically did it in real time and it was one take and that was it and hopefully you were good at it otherwise it would hopefully no one knocks on your door you know otherwise you'd have to start over they're probably doing that with amigas with video toaster yeah um i it, i think it was an amiga one of these early computers um i don't think it was windows and i don't remember the name of the sh- machine but if i heard it i would probably remember uh, there was a specific name for the machine that would do that. New Tech Video Toaster. You think that was... Uh, that's not what I was thinking of. But. Well, it's the most popular for uh, Genlock and uh, inserting stuff on VHS and such. I think Gen- Genlock is what I was thinking of. Genlock sounds familiar. Yeah, Genlock is just the technology to keep uh, to keep things in lockstep with, uh, with the frames for NTSC or PAL. Hmm. Yeah, I never got to work and on it. it. it yeah. I kind of heard it third hand 
you know, here's how it would, would happen if you wanted to get it done. <sighs> yeah, things have come a long way. Now we've got visual novels on Steam. And they release on Steam, they sell on Steam, people make money. Well, they make some money off them. Some people yeah. make a fair amount of money on these things. And they even have, in the past, what is it, the past year or two, they, they even said, hey, adult content on Steam? Uh, sure, why not? Yeah. Even at the beginning. They, well, it's on the other way through Amazon. What's, uh, what's Amazon do? So, I wanted to talk about this last week as well, but never got to it. Oh sure, but uh, they're starting to uh, they're starting to ban and remove light novels from uh, from Kindle. Hello, what? Yeah, I, I didn't hear this. Why? Yeah, because they don't like the content. What? Yeah, I'm sending you a link. Okay, I'll plug my ears. Ah. <laughs> yeah, I could hear that on my side. I heard the whoop. Yeah. Amazon delists several manga and light novels. Oh shit! What did yeah. they delist? For a there's a there's a list in there. Eric Ferretta. Mixed bathing in another people. dimension. Woo! <laughs> Infinite Stratos. Oh, Era manga sensei. Yeah, the Orimo manga. This is a long time coming. I mean. They didn't. So the good thing is the only manga I'm currently reading <laughs> isn't on here, which is uh, which is Made in Abyss. I've been. That's the only one I'm physically, you know, buying copies of as as I can get a hold of them and and reading them. It looks like it didn't make the cut list, which is good. Infinite Stratos. Come on, and it's only like one or two volumes. Yeah. This is bullshit. I know. This is literature. Are they going to delist Steinbeck novels because there's adult content in them, too? Are no, they gonna because Steinbeck's a white person. Are they going to delist, uh, I don't know, uh, there, there's a whole number of literature uh, authors who have... You can get have... Lady Chatterley's Lover on, uh, on a Kindle. And that it was banned across the English-speaking world for being nothing but obscene for years. So, do they still have Chuck Tingle on Amazon? Let me check. I don't know. Yeah, All Chuck Tingle, okay. Kindle, anyways. <laughs> like, the actual books you can still buy. The physical books. So you can still get Chuck Tingle... <laughs> Trans wizard Harriet Prober and the bad boy Parasolophosaurus, an adult romance novel, Kindle edition, six ninety nine. So they still have Chuck Tingle novels. Yeah. Bisexual Mothman Mailman. Like those, uh, they just don't like that dirty Japanese porn. So I could read. It's stupid. Bisexual Mothman Mailman makes a special delivery in our butts by Chuck Tingle. I can read that on Kindle. I've got Space Raptor Butt Invasion. Jeez. Lesbian Megalodon Shark Lifeguard Summer Butt Hunt by Chuck Tingle. I can get that Kindle, two ninety nine, But no anime. No. 
That's depressing. And people are guessing the reason why that volume of Grimgar was uh, no, dropped. Don't, don't guess. It's going to be some... that one, one part where the guys try to and fail to spy on the girls in the bath. Like there wasn't even anything really shown, right? <laughs> that's like a that's the not even just the characters. That's a classic, you know, anime trope too. That's part of the uh, that's a part of the canon. <laughs> You have to go back to, like, Green Green and stuff like that from way back in the day. So it was, or Love Hina. That happened in Love Hina, right? Wasn't that a... Regularly. Yeah. It's the the continual joke where there's uh, the, the boys and girls bath and the boys are trying to spy on the girls. They're trying to peep over the wall. Or they just accidentally fall in somehow. <laughs> <sighs> oh, well. You're a terrible person, Cold. How could you I'm watch something careful. like you, how could you how could you read any of this stuff? You must be an awful person. I guess I'm an uh, awful I'm person. I'm the worst. Yeah. This is crazy. It's our new SJW nightmare world. Jeez. Well, like I said, um I was talking to you in chat a little while ago and there was a uh, it was a, a show called Interspecies Reviewers that I I told you about that on, on IRC the other day. Uh, you ever yeah, look into that? I ended up downloading it. I haven't watched it yet, though. Yeah, it was one of these that was being simul simultaneously released in English, um, and they dropped it after two or three episodes. So they actually signed up, they got the license for it, they bought it, and they were dubbing it and releasing it on, I think it was Crunchyroll. And I don't know if they were even showing the, you know, the uncensored version. So it wasn't even the ATX video version of it. It was like the... Uh, you know the MBS version or whatever. I don't know who aired, who actually aired it on TV. But so you know it was the semi-censored version, and it was too lewd because I presume because it has depictions of male sexuality inside it. It's it shown in a positive light, where it's it's a group of friends and their their shtick is they like to go to brothels, and then the. The joke is they go there and they write reviews, and every time they go to uh, to a different one, it's always like, oh, it's an it's an elf brothel, it's an orc brothel, or something like that. And that's kind of where the comedy in the series comes from. So it's a sex comedy show, and you know, people see R-rated movies for a reason. Dog, Game of Thrones was popular for a reason, so you can have Game of Thrones on Amazon Prime or for sale on any. On, I know they sold the the DVDs on Amazon Video. Um, I know it's an HBO show. The uh, the point is, all of this stuff is okay, but then you have something that's a, a fraction of the uh, transgressiveness of a mainstream TV show, an incredibly popular mainstream TV show, and it gets cut. I I guess because it's anime. It's like worse because it's anime. I don't. I I need to prevent myself from tr really trying to analyze this because I, I know there's no it's silly there's no logic behind it at all so if you try and apply logic to these decisions you go, well you know the the material in these books isn't any worse than half a dozen other books that you champion on your site so what's the problem like if you start thinking like that you're making a mistake because that's not how they see things and when they decide to cut things from uh, sale on amazon it's not they might cite adult content or something, you know, as their rationale, but 
it doesn't hold up under scrutiny. Obviously, there's some other agenda they have. Yeah. But we have no agenda. No, that's uh, that's Adam and John. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, there was one other show as well that I uh, that I started watching that's uh, pretty decent. Oh yeah, what's it's that? Just, uh, I forget the name of it, but it's uh, like Monster Girl Doctor or something like that. Uh. It's uh, the main character is this human guy who is a doctor who specializes in helping the monster races. And uh, it's always girls that he's helping out. And there's a Lamia who is his assistant, who's also a doctor. Which, which is a snake girl for people who don't know. hard on him. Yeah. For people who don't know, that's a that's a anime trope. That's a, a girl who has a snake for a body. Which is, the monster girl stuff really kicked off in the past, I don't know, decade or so maybe less than that you really didn't see that beforehand and now it's uh it's everywhere oh so this is an actual light novel uh, series adaptation as well <laughs> what a surprise yeah that seems to be they do that more and more it's Actually, here's what I'm going to do. I want to find out if there's any anime airing that's not adapted from some pre-existing license. Like, it's not a license from a novel or a, a manga series or something. I think there might be this season one or two shows like that, but for the yeah. for the last while, like, practically everything's been an adaption of something. Yeah. It's sort of like, um, you know, when Hollywood... They circle the wagons, and they face focus on remakes, and they focus on getting licenses for things they know will sell, things that have built-in audiences. So if, if you buy a license for a light novel that already has, um, you know, 30000 in sales every the, the weekend they release everything, uh, then, yeah, okay, you're, you, you know you have a, a fan base that's going to get excited, and you get some word of mouth from it, and... It's built in, and it's easier to do than market something that's new. I think Hollywood does the same crap now, too. They don't want to make an original movie. You think it's like a license, it's got to be a remake, it's got to be... I think it's a bit different, because a lot of the time there's a lot of involvement from the publishers in these adaptations. And it's like, the publishers are looking to get more interest in the stuff they're publishing... Uh, the TV show stations and the animation studios want to cut down on how much work they actually have to do to make a new show. And from that sense, it's win-win for both of them, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure they do it because they make money. It's, it works. Yeah. They don't do it because it doesn't work. Yeah. yeah, kind of, kind of a I scratch your back, you scratch mine kind of thing with them. With Hollywood, it seems to be just, uh, just like I don't know, artistic or corporate incest. Yeah, they just their own things over and over and over again because it's safe. Yeah, I had a there was a a bit I did on on No Agenda it was a song and I had a line in there was uh, about it was about extending all the copyrights. And because uh, every time Mickey Mouse's or, or some Disney property is up for 
uh, entering the public domain, somehow magically at the same time Congress decides it's, it's a good idea to extend the uh, duration of copyrights by another so many years. Yeah, crooked just as fuck. Little, little, little coincidence that happens. So it was about the the line was it was the corporate coast on Disney's ghost is coming back, uh, which is the way I see some of that movie making. It's a corporate coast. There's no risk taking. There's no uh, passion in it. It's just hey, you know, we're gonna make something that sells this year. So here's what we're gonna do. And I was listening to Oliver uh, Oliver North on. Uh, I'm sorry, not Oliver North, Oliver Stone. They were talking about Iran Contra 2 on Rogan. Um, talking about trying to get Platoon made. The, uh, the movie? Yeah. Yeah. And he, uh, he was just talking about how it was difficult to get some of his stuff done because no one wanted to, they, you know, they, he described it as his whole career. He's trying to fight he's working with people who don't want to make his movies and he's he has to continually fight to do something interesting because no one really wants to do it they want to do the easy movies they want to do the the easy money films and they don't want to take a risk they don't want to they don't see a a, a inherent good in making something that has an artistic vision you know built in unless they think it can sell so you know it's it's a it's a yeah. business. It's one of the reasons I like indie movies because often enough they're you know scripts that really couldn't make it for one reason or another. They would never really be picked up by a by a a list studio. They'd uh, there's something a little off about them, or there's something just a little wrong, or a little bit little bit offbeat about it. And I like those stories because I, I think they're more interesting. Maybe that's why I like anime, too. Like, if you take a, a standard anime plot, even, like, any of the stuff that, that we've been watching, um, like, I don't know. Any, take any anime in particular and you try and pitch that to, to Hollywood. It's just so wild. Like, so wait a minute. The concept is that they're powered by horniness. This is the, the thesis of a couple shows now because we have... Uh, uh, Hex Arrows right now and I was thinking about it and what was that trigger show where they had uh, they had uh, it was Zero Two and they had uh, was was the girl with oh, horns Franks. yeah Darling, Darling in the Franks that was it yeah it was, that was another robots they were powered by horniness as far as I could tell it seemed like that was the the joke at least for the first couple episodes but trying to put that and package it up for an American audience just isn't going to happen. It was, uh, though it's hilarious. It's, uh, at least the concept is the show. Not so much. I'm still, uh, I did watch the, th the third episode of, uh, Hex Arrows and I was like, okay, this is my opinion on it. Didn't change, but I, uh, but I did watch it. I'll probably watch the next episode too as a form of self-flagellation. That's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. It's not fun, but I do it because it, uh, I don't know, it builds character. <laughs> I don't know what kind of character I'm building, but it builds something. You don't want to know. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, speaking of remakes, there was an announcement that Type Moon is remaking Fate Extra. 
I don't give a shit about Fate Extra, but the joke is that Fate Extra gets a remake before Tsukihime did. And Tsukihime has been, been due for a remake for the last decade. I mean, that came out in 99, I think. And they announced, do you remember they announced uh, the Tsukihime remake? It feels like a decade ago. It was like 2010. They had a special issue of a magazine that came out and they had all the concept art from this yeah we're gonna make type moon and uh it's gonna have um new art new music and you know it's gonna be this the story is basically the same but it's gonna be you know kind of revamped and redone remastered for the modern sensibilities especially when you consider when they made the original sukihime everything's kind of i think it was kanoko nasu and was it Takeuchi was the artist? It really was them, and they had a webmaster. <laughs> and so everything is pretty rough around the edges. Uh, despite it being one of the the, this, the... the work that put Kanoko Nasu on the map, you know, before Fate Stay Night, this is, this is uh, his first work that people... at least that I saw by him. Um, though I did read Fate Stay Night first, I immediately went back and read Tsukihime, and I said, oh, I see how that flows from one to the other. But yeah, Tsukihime remake's been in development hell for a long time. Fate Extra gets a remake before it. <sighs> Garbage. This well, is terrible. That's because Yasu is all about fate these days and doesn't do anything else. Well, you know, it makes the money. <laughs> yeah. He's just strapped into the fate machine, pretty much. They'll have him making that, that those times uh, probably a decade after he dies. Yep. It'll be like Dune. I what, bought... He'll be like, they'll stick him in a tank full of uh, spice. I was going to say it's like Frank Herbert died and they keep making the books. <laughs> there, there's been a Dune novel out here, I think every year or two since... Um, the 60s late 60s no yeah uh brian herbert makes them he's his son and so i think brian herbert's name's on it it's actually ghost written i think they've there's an there's an obscene number of dune novels after 2000 are you sure yeah i have all the original frank herbert dune books yeah like the first six were frank herbert seven uh, there's, okay, there's Dune, Children of Dune, I'm sorry, Dune Messiah, Children of Dune, there was, uh, yeah, then the three the I was getting the trilogy. then there was the God, I'm not looking God at a list, God Emperor of Dune, Dune was on its own, Second Dune, Forward the Dune, uh, no, I don't remember what the, the ones after that were. You're thinking Forward the Foundation. No, nah, that was a bad joke. <laughs> Dune and Earth. We should do an episode about fucking old sci-fi novels. That'd be fun, too. Hey, read a lot of that old crap. Um, where are the books? Where's just the list of Dune books? The official Dune website novels. Da, 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 da. Dune Messiah, Frank, God Emperor of Dune, Heretics of Dune, Chapter House Dune, Mentats of Dune, House Atreides, House Harkonnen, House Cor Coranio, uh, 
da, 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 da. One, two, three. There's an obscene number of these. List of Dune characters? No. How about list of Dune works? Ah, well. I can't yeah. find it. I'm going to give up. Out of the works, the only, the only thing that... Uh that Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson did that's uh, actually proper would be their rewrite of uh, Frank Herbert's notes into Hunters and Sandworms of Dune. And all the rest of the books are just money grubbing out of their own asses. Hmm. So as far as I'm concerned, there's the original series and there's Hunters and Sandworms to an extent, and then everything else I write off as bullshit. Yeah. I picked up The Sisterhood of Dune in a bookstore um, when it came out, I think in 2012, which was, it was a Brian Herbert, Kevin J. Anderson, and I bought it out of uh, sick curiosity because I said, I know Dune came out in the 60s, and right now it's 2012, and this, I knew there was a continuation of Dune that happened after, even after Frank Herbert died. Um, they kept writing the things. And I said, I wonder what happens. And I've read none of the ones in between. I wonder what happens uh, in the in the span of a, of a 50, what, what would it be, 50 years? It's getting close to that. It's 40-something years of uh, Dune novels. What? How's the story change? So I just picked up the, the latest one, and I paged through it. And it's like every character was a Kwisatz Haderach. Every character was killed and died two or three times. It was just a mess. And yeah, it you know you could tell they. It felt like something that was that went on way beyond its uh, any anyone's desire for it to continue. It's like when a when a TV show goes on too long, they should have killed it after six seasons, but it's on for ten. That kind of thing. Yeah, it's like ah, uh, this is played out isn't it yeah i'm looking i found the page i'm looking at the date 2016 2014 2012 2009 2008 7 6 4 2 2001 99 i guess there was a gap okay then 85 84 81 86 so it, it looks like from the 90s onward late 90s onward they had 1999 a, onward yeah so it wasn't completely contiguous but no but all all of that is uh is Brian Herbert looking for money, really. Well, yeah. And I'm not sure you could blame him that much, but you gotta keep the license. If the license isn't worth money, you know, it's uh, it's not making any money. You gotta make them re-up it every it, year. I feel that really detracts though from the original stories doing that sort of thing. Well, someone and I I've never taken this position before because I usually would agree but now I'm I'm thinking I need to be contrarian so I'd say well the original novels still exist. They no one took them away. Yeah, no, it's not it's not like Star Wars where where some new stuff is released and then they go back and chop up the old stuff. Hmm. Damn you, George Lucas. I'm still mad they cut out the extended universe. They had so yeah. many good fucking things. They they had the Timothy Zahn books. Yeah, the Thrawn the, trilogy. The Thrawn trilogy. And they had the Michael Stackpole material. 
he was another good Star Wars extended universe writer. He did I I think a lot of the I think it was every other Rogue Squadron book. He wrote the good Rogue Squadron books. And you know, they it was right there. They could have done something with it. No, J.J. Abrams, uh, he has to ruin Star Trek, then ruin Star Wars. Oh, well. Is there anything that he's done that wasn't original that he didn't ruin? God, ever... Oh, that I was going to make a Lost joke. Uh, ever since Lost, show me the damn monster! I can't think of anything. Um... I'm not super familiar with his work because even when Lost came out and everyone was, you know, hobbing his knob over it, I never watched Lost because at the same time, Battlestar Galactica was airing and I thought it was the better show. And I, I watched every episode of Battlestar Galactica as it came out with, like with my dad, with rare exception. Like we missed uh, one or two times we had to watch episodes apart, but that was sort of our thing for, for that era was uh, just watch Battlestar Galactica from beginning to end. And uh, so I didn't watch Lost. It, it wasn't my show. We, and so I never, I never was a big fan of J.J. Abrams to start. Um, though I'll bet the first Star Trek movie was tolerable. It wasn't. I would I was, consider it, it tolerable. It wasn't what I was looking for, but it had its moments. But no, it, it was a complete fuck up. I think. They changed way too much, and all this ass pull shit just pissed me right off. Oh, so J.J. Abrams was the writer of Armageddon. That explains a lot. Huh. Star Wars The Rise of Scar Skywalker Overlord. I skipped that one. Mission Impossible Fallout. What was he? Did, he was the writer? No, he did filmography for Mission Impossible Fallout. That was actually a fun movie. <laughs> I saw that in an empty theater at midnight once. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Star Wars crap. Star Trek crap. He did Super 8. Skipped that one. Cloverfield. I remember when that came out. So that, that was a shaky cam movie. Yeah. And as soon as that, I think that was the the peak shaky cam because everyone was doing even Battlestar Galactica had done you know uh, this effect where even in their CG shots they would zoom in but the camera would shake as if it was someone and then when it zoomed in the uh, the camera would shake you know in a proportional way so it was almost as if you had a camera that was sort of unstable and then you zoomed in the lens and it was still a little unstable. And, you know, so the screen would shake just a little bit more when they did it. It was an effect they put on everything. So everything looked like it was filmed by some guy standing next to the actors with a camera, which you have to do on purpose because if you look at how you actually film a TV show, everyone has steady cams and they have. Um, there's a whole lot of rigging that's been in, invented and, and used specifically to hold the camera steady. And then there's digital signal processing that exists to take a camera that maybe there was a little shake or a shutter. Uh, in the video and and remove it after the fact um and so they said ah to hell with that we're gonna we're actually gonna embrace the shakes and shutters and we'd have fucking shaky cam scenes where you can't tell what's going on you remember the blair witch project yeah it was blair well blair Witch project shit that was the first one wasn't it well that was found footage yeah Yeah. 
No, that's how they that's how they treated it, right? But yeah, Cloverfield is like the Blair Witch of uh, of big monster movies, yeah. kaiju movies. It, that was a trend that really annoyed me. That was through the mid two thousands. Yeah, that you're right. It was Blair Witch kicked it off, but it, I remember it showing up in a lot of stuff, a lot of places where it really didn't belong. Cloverfield was one too. I remember people would go see Cloverfield, and they'd come back and say, "I couldn't see anything. The camera shook too much." People got motion sick from Cloverfield, if I recall correctly. I wouldn't be surprised if people got uh, motion sick from the running scene in Blair Witch Project. You know, I mean, people have gotten motion sick from playing Doom. Oh, I would get motion like, sick from in 1993, like Duke Nukem 3D. I I can get motion sick from that one. There's something about it bothers me. But other modern games don't. It's something about the way they project the the geometry of the game onto the screen. It's something about it's off or wrong, and it it uh, if it's it's okay. But if I play it in a dark room, um, and so that's the only thing you're seeing. Uh, it I have gotten kind of motion sickness from it before, so it's something I have experienced. Mm-hmm. Felicity Undercover. Yeah, most of these J.J. Abrams films I'm saying just aren't things I cared about. Unfortunately. Well, it looks like we're hitting the 70-minute uh, mark here. We're getting close to yeah. it. Yeah. You want to call it a, a night? longer than the first episode. Well, yeah, that was ripping the band... I told you before we started, that's ripping the band-aid off. Yeah. That's just to get episode one. And maybe in the next couple of days we can get an RSS feed set up so someone can actually listen to this crap. Right we now... We still need a title and a domain name. Yeah. I don't know what to call it. Um, I'm afraid to pick a title because I think that if I pick the title that I want now it won't be representative later but even like hog story their title came up uh sort of organically they had some other name for it i think it came out of a typo or someone mispronounced it they yeah some i think they actually they, like a, uh, and they ended up using it and re retitled the show yeah they actually changed the rss uh i think for the Something about it they had to change, like on episode three. <laughs> ah, well. All right, I'm feeling good about calling it a night and uh, cutting us off here. All righty. Any last words? No, I, I can't think of anything. My brain's, like, empty right now. Yeah. Well, you know, rest in peace, Raid. I've got a... Uh, yeah been sipping on this straight out of the bottle which is the way you do it seagram seven i think i'm gonna have a proper glass of this and uh page through something on tv before i hit the sack all right it's good yeah, talking to you, i'm Cole. probably gonna keep uh, screwing on the web but yeah yeah it's good talking to you that's Cole. a great chat yeah i'll uh catch you again next week yeah. all right catch you later all right adios